Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take another look at Mars's opposition to Neptune. Mars is in the sign of Virgo right now, opposing Neptune in the sign of Pisces. We're going to take a look at this today in a little bit greater depth. We started looking at it yesterday while also helping to uh, promote my um, friend, uh, Kat, Kat Nelligan's uh, new book about the Daimon. So if you didn't check out that episode yesterday, we kind of introduced a few things, talked a little bit about the Daimon. Uh, today, we're going to go further. So let me put the real-time clock up. And um, here we go. So here is the transit perfecting right now. You can see Mars at 22 Virgo opposing Neptune at 22 Pisces. So this transit perfects today. And you'll still be able to feel the effect, effects of this transit. September, this is September 2nd. You'll be able to hear, uh, feel the, hear, maybe you'll hear it. You'll hear, feel, sense <laughs> the transit of Mars to Neptune um, tomorrow, uh, as well as Saturday and into Sunday, maybe even Monday into Tuesday of next week. Although the most potent effects you should be feeling between now and say Friday or Saturday um, as Mars passes over Neptune. So, um, you know, this transit has already been in effect for a little while. Um, it's funny, like I, my daughter went to uh, kindergarten for the first day this morning and I was fine. I was like, I was totally fine uh, all the way up until I got inside and decided to start looking at baby pictures of her. Then I just, <laughs> just lost it for a little bit. A uh, good, a good Cancerian cry, and I'm I'm good now, ready to talk about Mars, <laughs> ready to talk about Mars Neptune, and um, but I thought it's it's funny because I was I was thinking, gosh, this is um, this is very appropriate in the sense that um, I felt like very composed and like I was really trying to compose myself, like have that kind of strength of you know. And, and so forth when I said goodbye to her. And then I got in and my whole strategy you know, like just fell apart. And I thought that was pretty funny about the way, the way that that masculine Mars can get overrun by the waters of Neptune and, and what a um, nice little uh, expression of that uh, archetype was at work this morning for me. Anyway, um, so today I want to talk about Mars Neptune from a few different angles. Uh, we're going to bring in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. We're going to bring in the Bhagavad Gita. We're going to bring in the I Ching. And we're going to talk about a few different things that come along with Mars Neptune. I want to continue talking about this idea of sacrifice and also um, of crisis and how we respond to crisis um, and passion and how we maintain passion few different things to think about. One is that, as I said in yesterday's video, um, sacrifice is a big part of Mars Neptune because um, if you think about Neptune, one of the one of the great significations of Neptune has to do with absorption. I know absorption could be in a meditative state, for example, you get absorbed into a meditative state. It could be that you lose yourself by becoming absorbed in alcohol. It could be that you are taking on the uh, you're you're absorbed in um, you know some kind of holy mission or purpose or vision, but Neptune's um, the experience of absorption with Neptune is uh, pretty can be very profound and either overwhelming in a negative way or potentially very positive ways, um, 
And with Mars, you're thinking about a god that is therefore going to get involved with the absorption of Neptune when it's in the opposition. And it's going to struggle at times through the nature of an opposition. Na oppositions are of the nature of Saturn. And so we're talking about the potential for um, some, the, the oppositions often work through polarization. This is over here and this other thing's over here. And I don't want the two things to be together or we're putting them apart through some kind of principle or prejudice or something like that. But there's often a secret sameness or similarity between them. Okay, so um, with that in mind, and if you think about Mars a little bit, what kinds of things could Mars end up, um, uh, what, what kinds of things could Mars end up doing when getting absorbed in the waters of Neptune or fighting not to become absorbed in the waters of Neptune, so to speak, because of that polarization effect? Um, the polarization effect of Mars-Neptune can result in um, trying to stave off a feeling of purposelessness or that there is some kind of void that we're falling into. We, we lack purpose or we lack some sense of intentionality. Mars says, I don't, I, I don't have a purpose. I'm lost. I'm wandering when getting pulled in to Neptune. On the other hand, um, Mars, Neptune can get absorbed in some kind of holy purpose or uh, some sense of um, mission or uh, vision. And I use the example uh, quite often of, of Joan of Arc, you know, she's re receiving a, a vision of a holy war that she has to go and fight. Um, now, I'm not saying anything about the nature of war or, or, or her vision or anything like that, historically or politically or something like that. It's just the quality of being dr completely drawn into, I heard the voice of God, I saw the light, it called me in this direction. And I had to, you know, take up arms, you know, there's that quote, actually, that comes to mind. Um, and I'm forgetting who, where it came from. Um, I remember it from Dead Poets Society. So it was one of the poems that, you know, Robin Williams is the English teacher was quoting and it was like, or no, no, I think it's, uh, it comes from Shakespeare, actually. Um, it's, uh, is it Hamlet? I think it might be Hamlet, but he says, um, it's to be or not to be, right? To take up arms against the sea of troubles, you know, do I, do I do this or, or not, you know, do I, or do I let go or surrender? That's, um, I'm pretty sure that's, that's Hamlet. Uh, so at any rate, um, this idea of giving, sacrificing your will in, in complete surrender to some kind of purpose or mission, that's very Mars-Neptune, as well as to feel overwhelmed and at a loss. I don't have a purpose. I don't have a sense of sacred vision or mission. Um, the other thing is that uh, there is a sense that we're not fully alive unless we're sacrificing something. Um, this is a Mars-Neptune idea. If you think about, you know, your kids, it's like you're pouring so much into your kids. I was thinking about that this morning, you know, you're pouring so much into your kids. Or if you have a job or a hobby or a passion, you're a business owner, you're pouring your own resources, your, your money, your capital, you're pouring it in. Um, it's funny, we go to this gym nearby and they were, um, they were on this show last night uh, during COVID, they had some tough financial choices to make. Obviously, gyms were being affected pretty hard. And they ended up um, 
getting advice on a new show, sort of like a Shark Tank show. It's called Money Court. And it was a show that was there about, um, that they help people like business owners and stuff, or either solve disputes or make like tough financial decisions. And they had to make this really difficult decision about, you know, um, they had to make a difficult decision about what to do with their gym given everything that was going on during the pandemic and stuff. And so they were on this show and it was really, it was really funny. Um, so at any rate, uh, the, the owners of the gym were on the show. So um, one of the things that came up was, it, you know, even in, even in the show was the sense of like sacrifice. Like we've, we've poured so much of ourselves into this business and now we're at this crossroads and we don't know what to do. Um, this is so human and so soulful that we, any of us encounter things like this. And we do so every day. We have tough choices often come from considering what do I want to pour myself into my energy, my time, my resources, or having already poured so much of myself into something, what choice will I make? What's the best choice to make in some kind of situation? Um, because uh, it, it, the feeling that there is a lot at stake is usually due to having shed something of our, of our, our blood, our sweat, our tears, our soul in, into something. It's necessary that we do so because uh, from the standpoint of Mars Neptune, we need to feel as though our efforts, our will, and our ambitions are part of something larger than ourselves. Mars Neptune is the need, you could say, for will to become collective or for will to be transcendental, for there to be some larger sense of purpose that transcends the mundane interests of the ego. I mean, why do I pour so much of myself into kids? I mean, if you're cynical and believe, you know, in, in a purely rational answer to that, you might, you know, talk about genetics or the survival of the gene pool or something like that, that's driving me on an unconscious biological level. And maybe there's elements of that that are true, but there's also, of course, there are also reasons that have to do with love and that have to do with, uh, you know, trying to be a better parent than, you know, so in some of the ways that our, my parents were, or I think, and I think we all do this, not that I had, you know, I mean, everyone has challenging uh, parental things to overcome, I think, but so, you know, we have reasons for pouring ourselves into our children. I, I want my child to not have to deal with this thing out in the world or I want them to be prepared for something or whatever. So will is so regularly um, wrapped up in this larger sense of why something is important. And that larger sense of why something is important is numinous. It's hard to capture. We, when someone says, why are you spending so much time doing this? We start kind of reaching, you know, for different things. Well, why do you do astrology? Why do you pour yourself into astrology? Well, it's because I feel this way. It's because I like this thing. It's because it means this thing. It's because of these experiences like that. There's a tarot card that uh, comes to mind when people also may have delusions or they may be deceiving themselves about the different reasons or purposes that they have for doing something, painting it or, uh, cloaking what they do in some larger numinous sense of what's right or true. The seven of cups, if you can remember that image, um, seven of cups shows, I think it's seven of cups. It shows a man 
or a woman, doesn't matter, looking up into the clouds. And there's these little cups coming out with all sorts of fantastic like creatures and things coming out of the cups. And it's a card that, that can come up sometimes when we have to be aware of um, illusions and what our motivations are. And we can delude ourselves by grasping, you know, um, grasping at things and saying, well, this is why I'm doing it, or this is the real purpose behind it. Mars Neptune can be like that sometimes too. Um, and sometimes there's also this pervasive sense that there is no purpose whatsoever. And Mars Neptune can reflect that as well. So um, a few things that I wanted to talk about today that kind of dovetail from this, and this comes out of eaching meditation that I did um, yesterday and this morning a little bit as well. So there's a few things to say. I mean, so sacrifice is necessary. There's some sense in which we need to pour ourselves, our effort, our blood, our sweat, our tears, our frustration into something. The word passion means to suffer with something, to suffer alongside of something. So there's, it's very important that there be passion in our lives that I mean, even like, you know, I think I'm thinking of, you know, working out or being physical um, to stay in shape. There's a sense in which the body has to burn itself. It has to like exhaust energy, like a little, um, you know, like a little machine. that's like, it's got a, it's like pu puffing out, uh, you know, exhaust or steam or something. And it's, it's, it's dynamic, intense thing, you know, but at the end of the day, we do that so that we feel good so that we, um, feel alive so we feel kind of right you know in a in a in a space where our body feels more alert and conscious and similarly we you know people practice physical asana yoga for the same reason for the breath to remain in that presence so anyway one of the difficult things though about having a passion in life or needing a passion in life is that mars neptune can also represent the wandering of our passions which means that they come and go. They're not very steady that they, we get absorbed into something and then it becomes bored. We become bored or it becomes boring. And then we let it go and we try something else. And one could readily ask like, well, why does this happen? And what's the solution to that? I mean, I can't tell you how many people I see in my practice who regularly tell me that they don't feel passionate about someone or something that they used to, and they're wondering where it's gone and how to get it back. And in some ways, this isn't even really an astrological question. I mean, there may be a transit that's activating this. Often it's a Neptune transit. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, most of the time it's a spiritual question because it has to do with our approach to our passions and how we maintain them and keep them alive or keep them healthy, keep them well. Um, so a few things to say about this. Um, let's talk about maintaining what gives us passion rather than starting a new passion every single day. In the I Ching, there's a hexagram, number 63. This is this hexagram uh, is sometimes described as um, uh, already having already crossed the river or having already completed a task. Um, sometimes this hexagram is called aftermath because the picture is that of... Um, a, a people or a group of people or a person having crossed a great river, which means undertaking something that was tremendously difficult and dangerous. And, and now they're on the other side of the river in this hexagram. And while on the other side of the river, there is now this sense of aftermath. Okay, whew, we got there. 
But then what do you do when you're in the state of aftermath of having achieved something, of having gotten where you wanted to go? Because of course the Tao keeps moving. The life keeps going. Life is eternal. It doesn't stop just because we've obtained something. So there becomes this really important question, which is when everything's in its right place, um, how do you maintain that? So much of our lives are spent, um, you know, in the high of anticipation or in the high of building towards something or in the high of, of getting somewhere or in the high of thinking about where we're going to go compared to where we are now. And um, I'm not someone who says, oh, yeah, we'll just get rid of, you know, any desire that you have. Um, desire is natural. It's endogenous to the heart. The heart's like always looking for, it's like, it's like your phone that is always searching for a Wi-Fi signal. This is something my guru likes to say. And uh, we're, the desire to connect in love um, is part of passion. Passion is constant. It's never going anywhere because life is eternal. So passion is eternal. And the need to connect to a signal and to do so with passion, which means that it's, a, it's like a combination of burning with, with love and desire and conviction and charisma um, and, and, and heart for, for something, for the beloved, whatever the beloved is or whatever valence or like shape the beloved takes. So we're, if we're always burning for that, though, it's like, it, you know, um, it's easy in this world to, um, to think to ourselves, well, it's, you know, we don't know where to take an eternal burning passion, right? It's like, we think, oh, I have to satiate it or satisfy it. It's kind of like there was a moment I can explain that one time when I realized if I'm going to have a... Um, um, if I'm going to be healthy, it's not something like I need to go and get healthy or I need to go and get my body to look a certain way. It's that I have to have a complete and total lifestyle change where healthy living, including working out, eating right, sleeping right, uh, my prayer life, this has to be every day. It has to be a way of life because um, it, the, the goal is the lifestyle itself. And that was a shift in my thinking that, you know, it sounds really basic, but I, so many times where I had tried like diets or working out or doing something to get me somewhere. And then like, I imagine like when I was there, I, 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 and I can't believe I even thought this, but it was kind of like, I thought, well, I won't have to keep working to maintain it. I'll just be, you know, it'll be as, it'll be natural and it'll be like really easy to maintain. There'll be no effort any longer or something like that. Actually, we're not trying to lose or get rid of the perpetual passion, the perpetual effort. It's there to be um, experienced as uh, deepening joy in the passion, in the burning with the things that we're doing, the things that we sacrifice. And sacrifice, in other words, is perpetual. Um, in, in fact, in the yogic tradition, um, in uh, the Gita and in other places, Krishna says that sacrifice is perpetual. This is how it's like a, you know, it's like a fire. The creation is like a great fire, and things have to be constantly thrown into it for the fire to keep going. And that's see, giving us a glimpse into eternity. This ever-present, ever-expanding 
reality that that requires constant passion and sacrifice being thrown into it. So we can feel exhausted potentially by that, or we can feel constantly renewed by it. And it really depends on, you know, the, the source of, of what we're feeding the fire. You know, it's like, well, if my passion is built on all sorts of things that are constantly changing in, in this material world, um, then I'm going to need a new passion pretty regularly. I'm going to need a new goal. I'm going to need a new ambition. Um, whereas a lot of the times, at least, um, you know, in our short lifetimes, the things that are more likely to give us happiness are those things that we can renew the value of and renew the passion for regularly. And how do we become, how does our heart become a renewable resource? How do our passions become um, renewable? You know, and, and, and that's uh, this hexagram in particular, number 63 has a lot to do with it. Um, because one of the things that this hexagram says is that um, there's a changing line. This line shows, it says the Eastern neighbor slaughters an ox for a splendid ceremony, but is no better than the Western neighbor holding a simple sacrifice with sincerity and trust. Then the commentary says, this signifies that pragmatic attitudes and deeds, doing what's correct at the right time, brings good fortune and is greatly auspicious. Um, so the hexagram that forms after this line is activated is uh, number 36, brightness being tarnished, where people are advised to remain civilized internally, but tarnished externally, i.e. not outwardly showy, but with real internal worth. Um, I love this line because one of the things that this line reminds me of is that um, there's um, the, it's talking about sacrifice. It's talking about different kinds of sacrifices and that those that burn fast and hot and bright and that are big and showy and meant to impress and, and so forth are actually those that are least likely to um, last or to have like an abiding uh, effect or to be uh, easily maintained or to um, garner the best response from the gods. So um, small and simple ways of refreshing our passion are important unless we want to get into the spin cycle of Mars-Neptune, which has to do with, I'm totally pouring myself into something. I'm creating this big sacrifice. I'm hoping for this big result. I'm doing a big diet. I'm going crazy trying to get some big result. I'm pouring everything into it, and then it burns out really quickly. And then we have to renew it with some new big thing. Whereas the I Ching in this line says, small, simple, sincere sacrifices offered faithfully garner the best result. They have the most steady, stabilizing effect. And why is that important? Because in this hexagram, we're talking about what to do after you've crossed the great river, what happens after you've accomplished the big heroic effort. Then it's about maintaining something. Then it's about making sure that the, the, the thing that you've achieved stays in a good space. Mars Neptune will not give us that unless we're as careful about the approach that we take to great undertakings or great sacrifices as we are to, um, you know, the results and how we maintain them. So um, let's read something from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Patanjali is talking about yoga and he says, practice is the effort to be fixed and concentrating the mind. Then he says, Practice becomes firmly established when it has been cultivated uninterruptedly with devotion, 
over a prolonged period of time. Let's read those three again. Practice, this is the practice of concentrating the mind. And you could say that this is uh, yoga itself, the idea of um, becoming yoked to the eternal spirit soul, which is the ultimate reservoir of um, well-being and happiness, but requires the constant and most ongoing sacrifice, which is presence, presence and, um, and, and, and consciousness, conscious awareness. So to stay in the place that feeds us and makes us happiest, we have to practice being in the place that feeds us and make us, us happy. That can't happen, Patanjali says, unless we practice it, A, and that it has, it can, that will only be, practice itself can only become established and start to give us results when practice is cultivated uninterruptedly. So we have to have uninterrupted practice with devotion, meaning we pour our actual heart and soul, our emotions into it, and over a long period of time. Great quote. Sacrifice is usually simple, quiet, and persistent. It's the understanding that for us to live, we have to die to live. That sounds like a paradox, but it's true. We have to die to live. And to die to live is not a big, showy, flashy thing, the Eastern neighbor with the big ox. It's a uh, quiet, simple, persistent effort. In the Bhagavad Gita, in chapter nine of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna starts off saying this at around text 16. He says, Aham katuraham yagnas, faraham aham ashudham, mantraham aham evajam, aham agnir aham hutam, and excuse my Sanskrit. But it is I who am the ritual, I the sacrifice, the offering to the ancestors, the healing herb, the transcendental chant. I am the butter and the fire and the offering. I won't do the rest of the Sanskrit. I'll spare you guys. I am the father of this universe, the mother, the support, and the grandsire. I'm the object of knowledge, the purifier, and the syllable Om. I am also the Rig Sama and Yajur Vedas. I'm the goal, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, and the most dear friend. I'm the creation, the annihilation, the basis of everything, the resting place, and the eternal seed. O Arjuna, I give heat and withhold and send forth the rain. I am immortality and I am also death personified. Both spirit and matter are in me. So he goes on a little bit and talks about people who, you know, practice great big rituals and ceremonies to get big things. And then he says, but those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form, to them, I carry what they lack and I preserve what they have. And then he goes on to say that he's the enjoyer and master of all sacrifices. And then finally, he says, if one offers with me with love and devotion, a leaf, a flower, a fruit or water, I will accept it. This is a way of saying that, you know, here's Krishna, the soul of our soul, the highest self that lives within us, that, that yoga is to bring us into union with. And he's saying, look, I'm the reservoir of all happiness and you can approach you don't have to approach me with any grand big thing trying to get any grand big thing i'm in you and all you're trying to do is hang out with me and it really requires simple small consistent efforts of devotion this is so important because mars neptune will definitely convince us that some huge response is necessary i i watch um 
social media every day. I don't watch the news so much anymore, to be honest with you. Um, but I look social media every day. And so of course I'll hear about something. If, if there's big news, I always hear about it because of social media. And what I notice in social media, one of the reasons I had to get off Facebook for myself personally is that we can get caught in another Mars Neptune spin cycle, which is that of shock, disgust, and a pall. There's lots of other things we can get caught up in, but one, this is one of them that I've noticed. Shock, disgust, and a pall. Another thing that Mars Neptune can get fired up about is we can move from one heroic quest in life to another. And those heroic quests give our ego a sense of validation. And they come in typically like this. Someone does something that's unethical. And I'm not debating the unethical part. I'm not debating the injustices or the unfairnesses of the world or the lack of um, intelligence or the ignorance that's out there. But what I notice is that it can give us a, a, a reason for motivation. It's like we, because there's, there's not this simple, consistent, devoted practice of presence every day in our life that we're pouring ourselves into that the sacrificial fire that's keeping us in touch with the Paramatma, the God in the heart, and that we're, we're not staying in that place very easily. And so one of the ways that we get fired back up and pour ourselves into something is by looking at the world and seeing what's wrong with it, which is easy to see. It's so easy to see. And then we get caught in a spin cycle of resentment and disgust and rejection. It's easy to look and say, I'm going to get passion today because I see things that are wrong or that I reject or that I resent or that disgust me. Um, and if we need to respond um, over and over again to, to the world through shock, disgust, sort of self-righteous appall at things to fire us up and motivate us, even if, it's, even if we're not going to actually go out and do anything about those things, but we're just using them as fuel to to feel strong or, or um, to feel convicted about something, there's a problem there because then we'll also, because these things, you know, crises come up and then they fade into oblivion. That's a Mars-Neptune dynamic as well. So don't get caught in the spin cycle of shock and disgust. It, it's easy to do so again, because there's plenty of it, right? There's plenty of things to be bothered about. People who respond to crisis or calamity with trust, simplicity, and sincerity, consistent small efforts to respond to the things that we see in the world. And by the way, one of the mo most simple pieces of advice that we get from uh, in the Christian tradition is to, um, when we see that, to let it be an occasion to turn our gaze back toward ourselves, to see our own connection to the ignorances of the world, and to turn the gaze inward to refine ourselves. Um, to use, not that, not, not that that doesn't mean that the world um, doesn't have its faults and flaws that are in some ways probably much greater than our own in many cases. So it's not to say, well, I'm just as bad as anyone or anything else, because, you know, there's some ways in which that's not going to be healthy, but to use our view of the world, whenever disgust, resentment, appall, shock, ugh, when that comes up, to turn that back toward ourselves on some level, does that feel kind? Does that feel like the right tone of voice to use if I were to see something shocking or appalling or ignorant about myself. Sometimes just that process will soften, help us to be more forgiving and graceful, and also to refine ourselves more because we, um, we can create like an empathetic link. 
So the, that's a Mars-Neptune thing. Um, people who respond to crisis or calamity with trust, simplicity, and sincerity, bringing the gaze back inward are more likely to handle problems uh, constructively than people who feed off of the stimulation or the reaction uh, space of constant crisis. That's a Mars-Neptune dynamic. Don't play, uh, you know, I need to think about another quote comes from Jesus. Don't pray like the hypocrites who go out into the streets, you know, proclaiming, you know, the end is here, the world is ending. Oh my God, you know, or look at, I'm, I'm righteously praying for the right things, you know, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right side of history or whatever the case might be. But instead they, they pray in the secret and they may pray about the exact same things. Oh, Lord, help the people of the world who are suffering. Oh Lord, help me. I'm suffering. Or, you know, Oh universe, please help the people of the world. Please help us from our ignorance, whatever the case might be. But there's something about that advice. that's so important because we keep that focused inward. Uh, we're going to be a lot more that, that, that sense of there's something wrong and I need to pour myself into fixing it or some kind of heroic effort. Still, if we keep it sort of quiet, persistent, humble, um, that kind of righteousness supports us as opposed to uh, the kind that is, is um, feeding off from things in a more public and demonstrative way. Again, what does the I Ching say in that hexagram? Don't be like the neighbor in the East who slaughters a big ox. You know, you can be, uh, you can be the um, quiet, humble offerings also work. So anyway, I hope that these reflections are valuable today, valuable for you as uh, you're going through your week. Um, if you have any other thoughts to add, I always love hearing from you guys. Um, think this week for me, I'm thinking about, um, how to, um, maintain passion in areas of my life that need renewal, that need me to come back and be excited about it again. And how can I do those, uh, renew my passions and my interests and my investments and the, the sacrifices that are needed in areas of my life? And how can I renew my investment in those things in ways that are humble and quiet, um, but persistent? So those are things that have been on my mind. I love the I Ching's teaching this week. I hope it's helpful for you too. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again tomorrow. There's some transits unfolding over the weekend that are really interesting. So I, I can't wait to uh, take a look at those with you guys. All right, take it easy. Bye.